Hi, everyone. You are now listening to BCC Sermons. Thanks for tuning in. As a disciple of Jesus and as a disciple maker, which those two go hand in hand because if you are a disciple of Jesus, one of the things that we're told that we are to do as a disciple of Jesus is to be a disciple maker is that we need to understand God's word. And so my hope today is that we can lower the intimidation factor around certain things in God's word that maybe you have stayed away from or maybe you haven't even embarked on or maybe you don't feel quite qualified as a disciple or a disciple maker to even share with other people. So here's the thing that I want us to remember, that God's word to us today was first God's word to them. So remember the original audience, remember the original hearers, remember what the Holy Spirit was intending to communicate to the original audience. Stay anchored in that when you interpret scripture, it'll help us when we read, especially because we need to remember that God is holy, amen church? And if God is holy, his word is holy. And if he is holy and his word is holy, then I want to make sure that as I'm growing in my faith and as I'm sharing the word of God with other people, whether it be my spouse, my children, my grandchildren, my neighbors, friends, co-workers, small group, whatever the case may be, I want to make sure that when I am doing that, that I'm treating God's word as holy, not commonplace, not something that's just a, a nice thing to have on the coffee table at my house. No, no, no. This is holy. And that's why we take such great reverence and time to make sure that we handle it appropriately. That's why it's so important as a believer that you remember God is holy. And when you open his word, this is God breathed. This is Spirit breathe. This is a living word. It's not just another book. It's not another holy book amongst other religions and holy books. No, this is the God breathe, spirit breathe word of God, and He is holy. And when we remember that, when we start there, it should put our hearts and our minds in a position that we say, you know what? I want to make sure I'm handling it correctly. And that I don't just go around looking for things that sound good to me or things that justify what I want to do or don't want to do or somehow ease my conscience in a certain area. No, I want to handle it correctly so therefore I can be a good disciple to follow him, to learn about him and to capture his heart just a little bit more so that it can have an impression upon my life. But one of the biggest challenges I think that believers face is that we go to the word of God and man, it's a lot easier for us to understand things in the New Testament, especially in the epistles where it talks about the early church and letters to the churches. That kind of stuff makes a lot more sense to us than some things in the Old Testament. Stuff in the Old Testament we read, you're like, yeah, so how about that New Testament? I mean, we have limits in the New Testament too because we read like all the way up to Revelation and then we're like, mm, uh-uh. We'll talk about that another time, but today we're going to focus in on the Old Testament because the Old Testament can be a challenge, but 
It was given to us to learn about God. So where do we start and how can we understand it better, all right? I want you to follow along with this today. I've got a lot of things I'd love to share with you, and I want you to write those things down, capture it, use the, the YouVersion Bible app and go to the event section and follow along in the notes. Make notes yourself. Make sure that you utilize those tools because I want you to grow from this day. The meta-narrative of Scripture gives purpose and unity to the entire Bible, and it gives meaning to our lives. Now, what are we talking about when we say the meta-narrative of Scripture? We're saying the above-arching narrative of Scripture. In other words, the thing that ties all of the Bible together, whether you're reading the Old Testament or whether you're reading the New Testament, the single message, the red thread that's woven in between from Genesis to Revelation, the meta-narrative of Scripture, it gives purpose and unity to the entire Bible. So it's not two separate works of literature. No, this is all uh, given and directed and breathed by God himself. So here's what that term meta-narrative means. It means the big picture, this big idea is that we were created in God's image and we were meant to live in fellowship with God and with each other. And it means we've all sinned, we've all broken fellowship, but God in his grace has provided a way that we can be saved, forgiven, and restored. Jesus is God born into the human race for the express purpose of dying for us to pay the penalty for our sins. And after his death on the cross, Jesus rose again from the dead and all who trust him for salvation will be forgiven and made new. We also know that Jesus will return to earth one day to gather his followers unto himself. And in the meantime, we are to share this good news or this gospel with everyone in the world as it applies to everyone and is true for everyone. Those who have come to know that Christ, uh, they recognize that this grand narrative, this overarching story of redemption gives meaning and purpose to the world, to history, to all of life and each individual. So this affects everything, this idea of this meta narrative. And we find it all the way from the beginning of scripture all the way to the very end of scripture. It's this big idea of the Bible. So let's go over to Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. Hebrews is a work of literature that was written specifically to Jewish people to help them to understand how Jesus fits in to this story of God and how they have come to know God and all of their traditions and all of their practices and all of their heroes of the faith. And so the intention of the writer of Hebrews is to help them understand Jesus and how he fits in and how he is that promised one that they've been believing for, the one that's been promised from the very beginning of creation. And so we can read in Hebrews chapter 11, as the writer of Hebrews goes to this idea of all of these heroes of the faith to help connect with their audience. All right, so let's read verse one. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So here the writer is saying, listen, by faith, 
This is how everything was made, all right? And this is how the people of old received their commendation. It's because they had faith. They believed in God. It was the assurance of things hoped for. It was the conviction of things not seen. And it said, even God created this world, not out of pre-existing substance, not out of stuff he had like in the tool shed. No, it came out of nothing. It came out of nothing, but there was this assurance This faith, this idea, this conviction, this faith that this is who we're serving. And this is how the people of old received their commendation. God rewarded their faith. The fact that they believed when they hadn't necessarily seen with their eyes, but yet they trusted that what God said was done and it was good and it was finished and it was true. And they lived their lives with that type of conviction and that's what helped anchor them. And he said, this is how those people of old received their commendation. And then he begins to go through some specifics. Verse four, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So here the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, we don't know a whole lot about this guy named Enoch other than he didn't see death. And so whatever he did, he must have pleased God in it. And the only way to please God is by having faith. And so Enoch must have been a person of faith because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Verse seven, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he, com- he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah, there'd never been rain on the earth and he's told it's gonna rain and he has to build this ark. And so he's out there building, not just for a couple of years, but for like a hundred years, he's out there building this boat and everybody's mocking him his entire life. You're talking about a very, very, very long time. But he was commended by God because of his faith that he was believing in what God said. And he turned that into action because it was conviction for him. Verse eight, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of that same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith. I want you to catch that. All of these people died in faith because they had received a part of the promise, but they hadn't received all of the promise in their mortal lifetime. So they died still trusting in faith. A lot of times people get upset when they have faith and they prayed and they trust and they ask God to do things in their life and things may not happen on their timeline. Has that ever happened to you? Maybe you've asked God to do something and it didn't quite work out right when you wanted it to. 
and it didn't happen the way even that you wanted it to. And you even thought maybe you had a perfect scenario for God to work with and it still didn't happen. You thought like you were helping God out, you know. And people get very discouraged because they're sitting here going, why didn't what I wanted to happen happen? I thought I had enough faith. Well, guess what? All of these people that we just read about, all these heroes of the faith, they all died in faith. And here's what scripture says. Listen, verse 13, this will set you free if you grew up in some bad theology like I did. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Did you, did you see that? They all died in faith, not having received the things that were promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that there were strangers and exiles on this earth. So what does that mean? That means all these people who died in faith, they didn't fully receive everything that was promised in this lifetime, but their eyes weren't on this lifetime. Their eyes were on something different. It says, verse 14, for people who speak like this, they make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Man, I wondered where was that text when I was growing up? Because the way that I was taught growing up is that if bad things were happening in your life, it was because you didn't have enough faith. If you experienced sickness or lack, or maybe you just weren't giving enough money, or you weren't claiming the right scriptures, and you weren't praying hard enough, and you weren't being good enough, and you weren't being you know, this person that was full of faith, and that's why you were experiencing difficulty. But that's not true when I read the Bible, <laughs> because I see here that all these people of faith, they all died in faith, and they didn't receive what was promised in this lifetime. You see, we get so focused on this lifetime, right? We get so focused on the here and now. But these folks who all died, they experienced some things. They experienced some things that kept building their faith, but at the same time, they didn't receive everything. It's, the scripture says it like this in Hebrews. They greeted it from afar. It's like they believed it, but they were kind of far away from it, and they were greeting it. Like, I'm excited about what's coming. I'm anxious and excited in a good way about what's coming, and I'm greeting it and welcoming it in my life as if it were so now. I'm greeting it from afar. And they didn't receive that until they crossed over from what we know as life, this mortal existence here on earth, and they stepped over and crossed over into eternity. And then all of a sudden, they, they lived their lives, Hebrews says, like they were looking at this homeland. They had a different type of priority in their lives. This section of Hebrews, it continues to go through the Old Testament figures and it explains this meta-narrative concept to help the Jewish reader understand how Jesus is connected to all of this and how God has always been working through faith because now we receive Jesus the same way these people receive their commendation. It's not different. It's the same. It's by faith. The same scripture that says, without faith, it's impossible to please God when it was referring to Enoch is the same scripture that means, hey, it's impossible to please God without faith because it takes faith to believe in Jesus Christ. And it takes faith to believe that what he did was enough to forgive me of my sin and to place me into right standing with God. It takes faith to believe that, folks. 
It takes faith because in our world, we want to believe that we're justified by what we've done or what we haven't done. And we think I'm good in the eyes of God or I'm righteous or in right standing in the eyes of God because of the things I've done or the things that I haven't done. I've been a good boy or a good girl, right? And we think that that somehow earns us favor with God, but yet we see in scripture, it's not by our works that justify us, Rather, it's by faith in what God has done. It's his promise. It's his goodness. It's his mercy, not our goodness that we should be trusting in. The difference is that I can see my goodness. Like when I do good for someone, you know that warm, fuzzy feeling you get when you do something nice, like you paid for that person's coffee ahead of you. Felt good. They don't even know it was me. I'm going to post it on Instagram, but they don't know. They don't know it was me, the people ahead of me. We have a lot of things coming up because it's coming up on all these holidays where we give things to people, right? Like we're going to do cool things that we've always done, like angel tree gifts. And some of you do stuff like Operation Christmas Child stuff. I love that kind of stuff. It's super cool. And there's heartwarming stories that come out of it. You see the little kids in another country opening up their present. Or you see some family, you know, receiving the present maybe locally that you were able to bless. And oh, just even if you don't see it, you just imagine it warms your heart. And it's good because we can feel that goodness in that moment. It doesn't really take faith to do that. That's just us being moved with compassion, right? And we want to do something to help someone else. And so it's easier for us to trust in those things because we can see it and we can feel it. It's more difficult to trust by faith that God is good even when I don't see it and when I don't feel it. But I know it is because why? Because his word says it, amen? And when I trust in his word, it stirs in me faith because Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when I hear the word of God, it should charge up my faith. It should help build my faith in God. Even when I don't see it, I may see it from afar off like those characters that we just read all those folks in the Old Testament. And so when we read the Old Testament, we see that the same faith they needed to trust God is the same faith we need to trust God. We're just trusting him for the fact that we're believing in Christ as the hope for our salvation. They didn't know his name was Jesus. You can read further on about Moses and how how Moses, you guys remember Moses, he was rescued out of the, the, the river, and he came up out of the river and was raised up in Pharaoh's palace by Pharaoh's daughter. And so he grew up in this royalty, right? And he had the opportunity to be able to live just as a, as a royal adopted son and could have lived this life of ease. But yet here in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about this idea of Moses. In verse 23, it says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful. They were not afraid of the king's edict. But by faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than, in, than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered, verse 26, catch this, oh, catch this. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than the wealth of the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. Now, Moses didn't know nothing about Jesus Christ, but it says he would rather have been mistreated with the people of God 
than to enjoy the pleasures of living in the palace. Why? Because he had faith. He was believing in the promise. And he was living like it was true. So remember, church, we have to get this. We have to understand this, that Jesus is connected to all of this. God has always been working through faith. He's working through faith now. He was working through faith in the Old Testament. And we can be saved because of Jesus. So when approaching the Old Testament, I want us to primarily look to learn about God and his heart to look for Jesus as the promise when you study the Old Testament. So when you read about some of these strange rituals, right, because there's some strange rituals, and people get really excited when they'll read the Old Testament. I've been preaching the Bible, you know, for quite, quite a long time now, and I've had enough people come up to me after they read the Old Testament, and they'll say, Pastor, I, I read in the Old Testament where they have like this ritual that they do. We should totally be doing these rituals. I'm like, okay, let's pump the brakes on that. Because there's like some weird stuff in there, right? And there's a reason behind it. There's a reason God had them do that during that time. And it's not a command written directly to us to do those things. Yeah, but it says in my 21st English Bible translation that this is something that we're supposed to do. Yeah, it was talking to them to be able to do those things, and he had them do it for a certain reason at a certain time. Some people, oh, we should celebrate all the Jewish festivals, all the Jewish holidays. Those were given for a purpose. Those are given for a season, for a time, and we can see the heart of God in that. And it was to build that trust in this promise, and it was to build a rhythm of understanding and celebrating the faithfulness of God. And when we approach the Old Testament, we need to primarily go at it to learn about God's heart, not new rituals and festivals that we need to celebrate, okay? I want us to get this. Look for Jesus as the promise. All the rituals, all the requirements, all the rhythms of the people of the Old Testament. Man, look at how much faith they would have had to have to do that. Like how much incredible trust in God would they have had to have to do that? Because you look at, at it right now and you're like, oh man, that's strange. It was strange to them too at first because nobody had ever done those things. And they were asked by God to do things. And as they did, it would have taken a great deal of faith they didn't know that the promise's name was Jesus, but they still had to have faith in the promise that there was going to be salvation, that God was still going to save them. So pursue the heart of God in the Old Testament and look for the hope of Jesus. So now we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of this thing, okay? Are you ready for this? Now that we've set all of this up, I want you to be able to catch this, all right? So here's some things I want you to write down, take pictures of, whatever, follow along in the app, however best suits you to help you to grow. When studying scripture, take time to ask, is this passage descriptive or prescriptive? Very, very important question for you to ask. Because when you read the Bible, we, we can often read it, and it's describing something, and if we're not handling the Bible properly, we take it as something, oh, I, am I supposed to do that? Like... Uh, uh, is that something I'm being asked to do? A perfect example of this would be in the New Testament. You remember the story in the book of Acts, like when the first church got together and it was talking about what they did. Like they had this Holy Spirit movement. They had like this, the falling of the Holy Spirit where they all spoke in different languages and people were hearing the word of God that was being proclaimed in their native tongues. And it was amazing. And like Peter gives this great sermon to help explain it. 
And then after that, 3,000 people get saved. Like, oh my goodness, what is it? And then it described in the next few verses what they did afterwards. It was talking about how all these people, after this happened, they started like meeting in their homes. They started like having fellowship, breaking bread together. They sold all their possessions and they distributed it to anyone who had need. Now, is that descriptive or prescriptive? Because if it's prescriptive, then every one of us need to go home right now and sell everything we have and we need to give it to the poor, make sure everybody has what they need. Now, is that prescriptive telling us go do that if we're taking it literally? Or is there something that we can learn from that that's actually descriptive? It's just describing what they did. It's describing what happens when they come into this new relationship with Jesus Christ and they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. It's saying, hey, God has changed their priority. The purpose that we can read into it, we can say God has changed their priority. Now they're not thinking about themselves. They're actually thinking about the benefit of those that are around them because they want to make sure everyone is taken care of because they're filled with this love they didn't have before. Because it's descriptive. It's not necessarily saying, this is what you should go and do. Go sell everything that you have. Because what about this? There's another one. Is it descriptive or prescriptive? Um, Greet each other with a holy kiss. Nobody kissed me this morning, and I don't want you to. (laughs) I don't want any kisses from any of you guys. I don't even want it. Well, Well, you're being unbiblical, pastor. Because the Bible says, greet each other with a holy kiss. Is that descriptive or is that prescriptive? You see, is this writing a prescription and saying, this is what you do, take two of these and call me in the morning? Or is this saying, this is what happened, this is what we did, or is there a principle behind it? Well, hey, I can take that principle, be friendly. I'm not necessarily gonna go around and kiss everybody, right? And gonna get amen, amen, all right. Because my lips would be tired. (laughs) So when studying scripture, take time to ask that question, all right? We wanna write handle the word of truth. The Bible, this is going to be a fun one. The Bible is not entirely meant to be taken literally, but rather literately. Are you catching the difference? Because there's things in the Bible that are literal, and yes, those things should be taken literally, literally. But at the same time, there are things that are, should be taken literally because there's poetry in the Bible. Have you ever tried to take poetry literally? You can't do it. It's weird, right? I mean, there's a whole book in the Bible that talks about ladies' necks looking like giraffes and, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. Like, that's not literal language. Even when you read the book of Revelation, literal, is it talking about like a literal dragon or beast or is this like a symbol? You see, a lot of times we get into a a lot of unnecessary weeds and we get into ditches because we're not reading the Bible literally. We're trying to take everything literally. So understand this. The Jews divided the 39 books of what we call the Old Testament into three sections or three scrolls in the Torah, the Nevim and the Ketavim, okay? And this, they called it the Tanakh. And so they took it and divided it into three sections, and that's how they would read it and consider it. And within it, they ha- it has symbolism, it has prophecy, it has poetry, it has history, it has laws, it has commands, all these things that are written in it. Uh, one of the stories that's highly debated is the story of Jonah, right? A lot of people, they don't know what to do with Jonah. Jonah and the great fish, not Jonah and the well. Right, Jonah and the great fish. What do we do with this Old Testament story? Because, man, this is strange. Can a fish actually swallow a human? Can a human live in a fish? And like people get like upset about that, right? 
And I go, is that the point? Like, was that story given for us to talk about a fish and the human's ability to live within a fish? Like, is that, is that the purpose of that story? Or what is actually the purpose of that story? Man, I remember, man, growing up in church, like we teach kids uh, about obedience through Jonah, right? Because Jonah disobeys and a fish comes and it eats him. And then he obeys and he goes and does a good thing. Jonah's a jerk, you guys. Like, have you read this story? It doesn't have a happy ending, right? It's, it's a story in the Bible that ends really strangely. The last scripture in the book of Jonah says, should I have mercy on all these people and 100,000 cattle? Like that's like, or something like that. I don't remember the number, but it's a lot of cows. And that's like the end. You know, go to sleep, sweetheart, right? It's just really strange. It's a strange story. But the story is you've got these enemies of Jonah and the enemies of the people of God. God calls Jonah to go speak to them in hopes that these people actually repent and serve God. And Jonah's like, if I go and talk to them about this and they actually fear you, they might actually turn around and serve you. And so I don't want to do it because these are my enemies, and so Jonah ends up going and doing it after the whole fish scenario. And he agrees to do this and he does it and they repent. And then Jonah climbs up on a high place and looks down on the, the city of Nineveh and waits for the people to be destroyed. Because now Jonah, the innocent person in the beginning of the story, going to the villains in the story, has now become the villain in the story. And God has forgiven those who have repented and now they've been innocent in the eyes of God. So the story, really the purpose is, how do I love my enemies and how do I better understand the grace of God who can forgive such vile people? Even when they do me wrong, God's grace is still bigger than even my capacity. You see, when I look at the story and I look at how I should take it, it helps me to anchor it in the meaning and it teaches me about God, not about the human's ability to survive in a certain fish or not, right? Stay anchored in the original point. Here's another one. Scripture may have different applications, but we must stay anchored to the original intent. And I've said this before, and I'm, I'm going to say it again because I want us to stay anchored in this. This means we as disciples must embark upon the task of asking first, what did this first mean to them before asking, what does it mean to me? We have to ask that question. Remember, God is holy. His word is holy. We are treating this as holy and it is living and we want to make sure that we're anchoring our interpretations and the meaning and the original intent. What, does it, what did it first mean to them? Because we immediately read the Bible and we go, well, what does this mean to me? Well, first, before we ask that question, let's first ask, well, what did this mean to them first? That'll help anchor our interpretation so we don't get off in left field with something crazy and we don't misinterpret, mishandle God's holy, are you hearing me this morning? Holy word, amen, church? All right, so we talked about this a couple weeks ago about beginning our study by asking the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. So let's do that. When we sit down with the Old Testament, let's say, God, I want you to lead me and guide me. I ask for your Holy Spirit to illuminate the things to my mind that I need to see. Help me to stay anchored in rightly dividing the word of truth. Holy Spirit, I need your help with this. Bring back to my remembrance the things about uh, Jesus in here that I need to know and help me to see Jesus in this. Help me to know what this means to my life. Like, let's pray before we open up 
the scripture to study the Bible. And then if possible, if possible, you can read the entire book or at bare minimum, read the entire context of the passage to better understand what is happening. So do that before beginning your study. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you, all right? Remember to do that. So here's what I want you to do when you're reading the Old Testament, and these things will help you. Number one, highlight sections that mention God in the text and examine God's attitude towards humanity and how he responds and interacts. Like what attributes are on display about God? So remember, when we're reading the Bible here, we're actually reading to learn about God, amen? Like if we're seeking his heart, if we're seeking to know more about him, it will keep us out of the weird stuff, all right? It'll help us to stay anchored when we run into stuff we can't quite understand. And we can talk about those things. Don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with having a conversation about Jonah and the fish and all these nuances and things. But at the same time, don't let those things uh, affect your faith in God and don't let them divide the church, amen? Uh, Because if it's causing problems or issues, then you're missing the point and everyone is missing the point at uh, that stage. So make sure that you're asking yourself, what does this show me about God? Stay anchored in that. Number two, look for examples in the people that you're reading about of poor and rich faith. Now, there's some great characters in the scripture that we can read about and we can go, yeah, that's a good person. There's some meh people in the scripture and then there's some bad guys, right? And we read about all these different people in the scripture and so it's not necessarily reading them to emulate their lives and so we shouldn't teach scripture that way either to where we're trying to emulate another person's life. The only person we should be emulating is Jesus Christ, amen? But we can look for examples of rich faith and poor faith because remember what we read in Hebrews 11, without faith, It's impossible to please God. So I want to grow in faith. And so I want to see when God interacts with people who had great faith and it must have taken a lot of faith to do that. Or that's a poor example of faith and I can learn from that as well. So make sure that you're asking these types of questions. And then how did these people respond when God commanded them to do something? Like did they have a lot of faith? Did they not really? Did it take them a while to get there? How did they eventually get there? And maybe we can grow and learn from that. Number three. Look to resources to help you get a healthier context. And so I'm going to give you a few of my favorites that I regularly use. I love gotquestions.org. They have a phenomenal website and YouTube channel. Um, They've got just, they address some sticky things. And I think that it's great to deal with that. Also, uh, Mike Winger, he deals with some sticky things as well that will really help. Uh, he, He really handles it in a good way, in my opinion. And he has a YouTube channel called Learn to Think Biblically. My hero and the guy that I really look up to, modern day theologian, I'm Dr. Bob Utley on free Bible commentary. Um, Especially if you guys can go on YouTube and find some of his Old Testament stuff when he's like in the 70s or like early 80s sitting in a rocking chair. Like they took all his VHS tapes because he used to have like this VHS tape of the month like Bible study thing that you could sign up for. And they took all those and digitized them and put them on YouTube. Those are just gold. Like I just, I, I love them so much. And he goes through, he, he's written commentary on the entire Bible. And uh, it's, it's in plain English. It makes sense. Um, he's from Tyler, Texas. And so like his vocabulary is already limited. And so he doesn't like, he doesn't. He doesn't like speak over your head. I love you, Dr. Utley, if you watch this. Um, but, but like he, he, speaks, he speaks in a common language. He speaks in common tongue. And I love that. And the videos are only like 25 to 30 minutes long on that one 
uh, chapter of the Bible, so it's not like some huge long thing. So I would encourage you, if, if you're having trouble with like Leviticus or you're having trouble with a certain, something in scripture, go watch Dr. Utley. He'll break it down and you'll go, whoa, this is, this is really helpful information. Also, um, the Bible Project. How many of you guys have ever watched Bible Project videos on YouTube before? If you haven't, man, you're missing out because some of them are like five, 10 minutes. They're really short, but they have an overview of the Old Testament that if you're really interested in helping the Old Testament make sense, go watch that today. Like watch it with your family. Your kids can get this, all right? Your kids can sink their teeth into this. This is, this is really helpful. And they break it down and will help you understand this concept of how to read the scripture and how to deal with the Old Testament and where you should start. Like, man, it's super, super helpful, especially if you're a newer Christian or if you're someone who just wants better clarity on understanding the Old Testament. I, I would encourage you to do that. I have some other resources here that I brought, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set these down at the front uh, here, and so if after service, if you want to come thumb through them and look at them, you're certainly welcome to. Don't take them home. These are mine. I'll be upset, and that's stealing, okay? Um, <clears throat> this one here, this is called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee. This book will revolutionize the way that you uh, read scripture. It will, I would highly recommend everyone in this congregation uh, get this book. This is a very, very helpful tool. Um, here's another one that is also very helpful in the same vein. It's called Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. And so it talks about how the Bible is an Eastern uh, book that was written by Eastern thinkers. And it talks about the difference between the way we in the West think and the way that they would have thought. And this kind of flows right into that. Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. This is a book that talks about Jesus and the cultural practices of Jesus's day. And then here's a great thing that I have and I've taught through this four times um, throughout my ministry. This is a Bible reading plan where you read the whole Bible through in a year, but it's a 260-day plan, and they break it up really different to where you can see the meta-narrative of Scripture. Like, it's not like a linear Genesis to Revelation thing. It's actually done in a way where you're reading smaller chunks of Scripture, but they fit together in the idea of the meta-narrative that we talked about earlier, so you can see the story of the gospel. And, like, it'll bounce back and forth between, like, prophets and, like, kings of their day, and it, this is really helpful. It's called Foundations. And mine is really worn out because, like I said, I've led small groups through this four different times where we've gone through the whole Bible in a year. So I would recommend you get one of those, all of those. And then I have up here, I've talked about this. This is my favorite Bible. And mine's really cool because it has this leather strap on it, right? And um, this is the ESV study Bible. And remember how I've talked to you guys about how this is my favorite. This is a Bible I use to prepare my sermons out of. And so I'm just going to put that down there. If you've never seen the ESV study Bible, you can thumb through that as well. So it might be weird if you want to come up here and thumb through all that stuff. But man, um, if you're watching online, back it up. If you're here today and you don't want to read, uh, come up here and check all that stuff out. Uh, go online later today and back up to this point on the live stream and make sure that you get those, those books or at least you know about them. And if you want to put your hands on one and look through it, you're certainly welcome to do that here. And I just want to put that out there as a resource uh, to help us. I know we got a lot of people here, but you know, it is what it is. All right. So it's a little weird. I don't know. It's just something that I thought of last minute. I was in my office and I'm like, I'm going to grab some books. So number four, um, how does this passage point to Jesus and the promise of his coming and what would he do? Like, how does this fit into God's plan of redemption for man? Like, how does this fit into the meta narrative? That's another question you should ask while you're studying the Old Testament. Number five, here's the one that everybody wants to get to, but it's going to be much better if you do all of 
this other thinking and ask yourself these questions. And, and if you just train yourself to think this way, before you get to this point, how can I apply these answers to my life? What does it mean to me? Considering this passage, how can I praise God today? What sins have been identified in this text that maybe I need to confess to God and repent from? How can I emulate these examples of faith in my life? And are there final takeaways I can share with my friends, my families, and other believers? So it's something that's bringing joy in my life. What are ways I can bring these insights before God in prayer? And then like take those things to prayer and pray about what you've learned and what you've seen. This is handling scripture as holy and treating God as holy. The second Timothy two and 15 tells us to do this. The apostle Paul lets us know that we need to rightly divide the word of truth. That's what he says in second Timothy two and 15. We don't want to be a worker that's ashamed. We want to rightly handle the word of truth. So here's the big idea for today. Church read scripture to understand, obey, and share the heart of God. This is your big idea. This is why we're doing this. We're wanting to know the heart of God more. This is our call as disciples and as disciple makers. And so it's my job as Ephesians 4 and 11 says to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And I'm trying to equip our church, equip you to not be intimidated by this book anymore. Uh, The enemy is gonna use that source of intimidation or maybe even a lack of understanding or, or maybe interest because you know, maybe you've read and I, I just don't get it. My hope is that today, maybe those hurdles that have been in your path from, that have kept you from reading scripture, maybe those have been lowered today. Or, or, or maybe someone who was disinterested, maybe I've piqued your interest a little bit and you've thought, well, I wanna try some of that or I wanna watch one of those videos or maybe I'll check out one of those books or whatever the case may be. If I've piqued your interest and you follow through on that and you crack your Bible open and you haven't opened your Bible in years, then I would consider that a kingdom win today. And so maybe that's you. Maybe you just, I've been so busy, I, I get it. But it's holy and it shows us the heart of God and God wants you to know his heart. And so if the enemy's been trying to intimidate you and trying to keep you out of the word or or maybe I want to do this discipleship thing I want to do this mentoring thing but I'm just so intimidated I don't I don't know how I'm hoping that you can grow in these things that's why I'm teaching you this so we can grow in these things so that intimidation that that can be lowered that can be eliminated and you can start somewhere because God didn't give us his word to confuse us amen God didn't give us his word just to sit on our shelf as a pretty decoration. God didn't just give us his word to hand out at graduation and put someone's name on it. And you've got a Bible if you ever need it. No, no, no. This is holy. Something that we should treasure, that we should want to know God more through. And I want us to know how to do that. So my hope today is that you have learned something that you can take away to be able to do next. And that's why I'm not suggesting you do all of these things at one time. So I don't want you to be intimidated by today's message. Oh, I'm a terrible Christian. I can't do all of that. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying start somewhere. And I'm giving you a lot of things to start with. A lot of places to start with. A lot of things to do that maybe you could try out. Because I want you to be a disciple. I want you to be a disciple maker. 
And I want you to be able to have the confidence that you need to understand God and understand his word. Because I want you to pass these things on to your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, your nieces and nephews. Your, I want you to pass these things on to your neighbors, your coworkers. That's what we're called to do, right? I want us to pass these things on to the next generation. But how are we gonna pass it on to the next generation if we're not even opening it ourselves? We're only gonna dilute their interest by our lack of interest. We have to be the ones carrying the torch, amen? We have to be the ones who are gonna be the trailblazers. Maybe you weren't raised up to handle the Bible and you didn't know how and you just came to church and let the pastor do it or the Sunday school teacher. No, it's every Christian's responsibility to know God through his word. Not just the pastors, not just the Sunday school teacher, not just the small group leader. It's your responsibility, it's my responsibility. We are all called to be ministers of the gospel, amen? Every one of us, not just those who do it vocationally, so I want you to be able to take this word and do something with it. So let's pray and let's ask God because we have his Holy Spirit. So guess what the Holy Spirit does? Fills in all the gaps <laughs> because I've got a lot of gaps. And he gives me the ability to do the things that even I can't do in my own strength. So Holy Spirit, we need you. Fill us up. Help us to hunger and thirst after the word of God. And let us be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Let us be people who are searching for the heart of God and that we learn you through the Old Testament and new and we apply it and share it. And it's reflective and fruitful in our lives in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for tuning in online. Our in-person service times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. every Sunday. To learn more about BCC, visit us at bettendorfcc.com. Have a great day.